0: Job Shadowing HE, the podcast that delves into the roles of people working in higher education. Each episode hears from guests about what's involved in their role, the career path that led to it, and tips on how to get in and get on in these jobs. Today's guest is Selena Hannaford, Chief of Staff at City University of London. Selena has seen the ins and outs of university life from many perspectives, having worked in a variety of higher education roles during the past 20 years. Selena believes that not all of us are destined for cookie cutter careers, a view that may well chime with other professional services colleagues working in the sector. So Selena, welcome to Job Shadowing HE. Let's start our conversation with the Chief of Staff title. It's very commanding and powerful. Can you tell us more about what it means in practice?
1: I wish it were as commanding, as powerful as it sounds. Um, I think the best place to start is something that my current president used to refer to it when I first started working at City, um, which is to say that if you had watched the West Wing, you would know what a chief of staff was. And he frequently says that um, I know where the b- bodies are buried. So <laughs> I think that's a, a beginning point. Um, But it really varies by leader and by institution and what's required at that level. I think, in summary, a chief of staff is there to help the president or the vice chancellor excel in their role and reach their full potential. So that may mean that you're engaged with project management or strategy development. It may be about... um, political navigation and understanding how things land in the organisation. Some chiefs of staff are much more involved in the kind of communication side of things and and really work in synergy with the director of comms. So it really varies by what that particular leader needs and you need to be able to adapt to that environment and what they're asking of you.
0: From what I've seen, the chief of staff role seems to be emerging across the sector. I've seen examples at UCL, Birmingham, Essex, just to name a few. What do you think's happening in the sector that's leading to the role becoming more common and more needed in a a university? I think it
1: is reflective of what's happening in the sector more broadly. I think that HE has evolved. Uh, There are much greater challenges for us to navigate. Um, It's incredibly fast paced. There are policy changes. We now have the OFS, which is much more of a regulator with teeth. So there are bigger barriers for us to get through. Um, I think the financial constraints that the sector is now experiencing and that challenge of thinking about how we fund higher education at a national level, but also within our individual contexts. And also a massive expansion of what a VC does and what the senior leadership team does and and what, what roles are required in order to deliver. So I think because of that big shift, there's a need for significant structural, operational, cultural change and I think that's why VCs and presidents feel they need enhanced support in order to be able to deliver effectively.
0: So you've worked in higher education for around 20 years, and now you're in this role as chief of staff at City, which you've been in for just over two years, I think it is. Can you tell us a bit more about your career path? Did you plan to work in HE? What are the steps been between where you started and where you are now? Um, I think there's very few
1: people I know that commenced on their career in HE saying, this is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Um, I have to say, I had a background or an experience of HE because my father was deputy director of Kingston Polytechnic, as it was then, and an academic. So I grew up in a household full of visiting fellows that my dad would collect at Kingston Polly and bring home with him. So I had a fond experience of, albeit slightly odd, of what higher education would mean. Um, But I resisted heavily going into that space, both on the academic side and on the professional services side. I was offered a PhD scholarship when I came out of my master's degree and I I just had this real terror about doing the same thing (laughs) that my dad had done Um, so I actually started off my career working in the music industry and then later in PR Um, but as the years went by I just felt this gradual pull for whatever reason to come back and I think that's because I've seen the real impact of education In the case of my father, who came from a very poor background in Devon and completely transformed his life through education later in life, Um, and also through my mother, who came to the UK to study to become a nurse. So I think there was something about wanting to be back in that space and being in a space that I felt had a purpose and I was passionate about. Um, So left all of the, what sounded very fun, music industry life behind me um and joined my first educational role at the association of commonwealth universities um, which was a really exciting way to get into the sector and to understand the kind of global aspect of it bringing students from the commonwealth to the uk to study here um, but also to get a taste of different elements of higher education administration so not just supporting the students but also working in events management working on projects that were with other universities across that space so it's a really nice way to kind of come into it and learn a lot about different elements um, and then I went on to other roles as deputy institute manager at the University of London uh, moving into planning at the London School of uh, economics and political science, and then moving into the director's office there, doing a very similar role to my current role at City. Before taking a sort of sidestep into a private music HE provider, which gave a very different <laughs> perspective, um, and then coming back here to City. So it's been quite um, a diverse journey. I've had exposure to a lot of different functions, and I think that's what kind of has enabled me to be an effective chief of staff and I think alongside that has been a kind of journey of constant personal development so pushing myself doing different qualifications understanding what I needed to be able to do the role well and to be uh, enhanced in that.
0: And looking back on that time and it sounds like you say you've done you've had exposure to really some quite different activities what would you say have been the pivotal moments in relation to that career path and getting to where you are now?
1: I think there's something to be taken from all of the roles that I've been engaged with because they have been so different. Um, And I think that's something that's really important for people as they're kind of navigating their careers in HE. They are not cookie-cutter careers. It is not always obvious what your next step will be. Um, So finding the areas of growth as you're navigating through that and also the areas where you perhaps aren't learning what you need to learn and how you can supplement that. So I think for me, um, one of my pivotal roles was at the University of London because I was in a very small pond. I was working in two institutes. I had an amazing line manager, Paul Sullivan. Shout out, Paul. He's incredible. Um, And I was given the opportunity to really grow and develop and to find exposure to different functions. Um, And it also allowed me to unite some of the creative skills that I'd developed previously with the more rigorous management policy work, committee servicing. Um, And that was kind of the first time it was a bit of an aha moment. Like, I don't have to hide this part of myself in order to still be effective in what is quite a regulated environment, because actually that creativity and that innovation is something that is really needed in HE, and that more of us should be able to bring that to the table. So I think that was quite an important moment for me. And then I think the the next big moment was transitioning from my planning role at LSE into the head of um, director office role, which was not something I planned at all. Um, I was invited to apply by the then VC three times. (laughs) Twice ignored him because it just felt incredibly daunting to take that step up and I wasn't sure... That I had the experience or the skills to do the role and I think that's something that a lot of us do we kind of look at a job description and we say oh well I can see 60% of that I don't see the 40% I won't apply and in fact that's really where you need to push yourself into that space of development and growth so I think that was a really important moment for me in building my confidence developing my governance skills um, and learning to just kind of adapt to different leadership styles to work out what my strengths were and where I could help an, in, an organization to kind of excel and adapt. Um, and then I had my kind of what I didn't enjoy moment <laughs> when I stepped out of the public ageing sector into the private ageing sector, where it was very much about profit over purpose. And that for me was a pivotal moment in the sense that I realised what I didn't want to do with my life. Um, it recognised my passion for creativity and it gave me an opportunity to think about my portfolio career again. But I really honed in on why am I in education? Why do I want to work in the sector? Um, and that brought me back here to City. So that was kind of a pi- uh, reverse pivotal <laughs> moment, as it were.
0: You've, um, you mentioned a few minutes ago about training and development and looking at your LinkedIn profile... It's obvious that you've done various formal courses um, to support your professional um, pathway. Can you tell us a bit more about those?
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the huge benefits of working in HE. We are surrounded by opportunities to develop, whether that's through professional qualifications, through degree programmes. You know, there is such a huge wealth of chances to really learn and push yourself. So for me, that's something I've always tried to jump on. Um, Some of the earliest things I did were uh, ILM qualification um, in management, and that was when I was really first starting out, again, at University of London. Um, And I also did the Prince 2 qualification then because it became really apparent that I needed to understand how projects worked and how I could deliver on them. Um, And then as I progressed, I got more and more interested in the very geeky side of H.E., uh, I know a lot of people absolutely hate governance and committees, but I constantly want to tell people that they can be a huge driving force for change and for quality within HE. Um, so I did my uh, MSc in corporate governance, which also uh, qualified me as a professional governance expert um, with the CGI. And that's been really helpful for me across all of the activity that I'm engaged with, because you can really understand how something can be delivered in a much more effective way, how you can bring the right stakeholders into conversations, um, and just to really bring the quality up of what you're providing. And often senior leaders are not as interested in that side. So it creates that balance where they can have that visionary idea and you can help to support it through program or project management and through the change agenda as well as thinking about the underpinning and governance so I really just wanted to find ways that I could be of service um, and could push myself to develop so those types of qualifications have been really helpful for me and then I think at City I've really stepped into the role of coaching across the institution and here at City I was able to go and study at the university of Reading, to get a professional certificate and executive coaching. So that's also allowed me to kind of emphasise that skill as well.
0: At the heart of this, is of the chief of staff job, is a close working relationship with a vice-chancellor or president. Can you tell us a bit more about how that works? <laughs> I think it varies hugely
1: depending on who you are working to. So I have worked for my SIDS for four different VCs now, um, all in a similar role. And there has to be a really good relationship between you and that individual for you to be effective in the role. I know of individuals who will remain nameless here, who have been in the chief of staff role, who are disempowered because they are asked to just act as yes people, um, essentially just do my bidding, get on with it. And I think that's the least effective use of the role. I think where the chief of staff role can be really effective is when the VC empowers that individual, they trust them, they create space for them to strategize and problem-solve. Um, And also that the VC themselves is willing to adapt their own working style and routine in order to reap the benefits of that relationship. So being open to hearing things they don't want to hear, um, adapting perhaps the way that they're delivering on their strategy based on the information that's being received from within the institution. So I think it's, it's something that requires both individuals to want it to work, Um, I'm incredibly lucky I work currently for Sir Anthony Finkelstein who set this role up when he arrived so both of us arrived on the same first day just after Covid Um, and so we really had an opportunity to work out how that relationship would work and how I could be most effective in supporting him and I think you need to create that space and have really good communication between the two of you and at the end of the day, you also have to accept as chief of staff that sometimes you're going to be told, no, I don't agree with that approach. You need to deliver it in the way that I need you to. And to be prepared to be flexible and adapt to that and work through any challenges that might emerge on that pathway. So being flexible as part of that is also really important.
0: You've mentioned some of the uh, the skills that you bring to the role in making the relationship work. Could you say a little bit more about I guess, what those sort of like, I don't know, top three or five skills are that you're bringing to that relationship to make that relationship work effectively for both of you and I guess for the university as well. Yeah,
1: and I think that's a really important point is that I've always seen my role as being a broker between the vice chancellor and the institution. Um, It requires being able to speak truth to power. And I think that's a really central skill to have. And that relates to kind of the political element, diplomacy, being a broker and a truth teller. Um, You really need to understand your institution. You need to go out, you need to build relationships. You need to be able to help your leader refine his messages um, and deliver on projects and do so in a way that fits with the culture that you're operating in. Um, So I think that is a really important part of it. Being a confidant, a strategist, being able to talk things through with your leaders that they have someone that they can bounce ideas with as they're developing them. Um, I think also problem solving is really important. There will always be challenges that emerge, whether those are external from the horizon, whether those are internal in terms of operations and delivery. Uh, So being able to think about solutions. Um, and to be really positive about that so that you're driving change in a way that's exciting for others to engage with. Um, and then I think the kind of project management, change management element of it, really being up on those skills and making sure that you understand how to get from idea to delivery. And that sometimes means in a coordination role rather than in the project lead role, because there will often often be others that are closer and have the expertise to things, but being able to kind of broker between that.
0: And what's the balance between sort of working behind the scenes with all of the things that you've been talking about and the visibility of you and your post within the university?
1: I think that you have to leave your ego at the door. (laughs) Chief of staff, you are not in that position because you want to take credit for absolutely everything you do. Some of what you do... Is a reflection of your leader some of it will not will go unnoticed by others um so you have to be able to acknowledge within yourself what you've accomplished but also to be able to be a good reflection of of the person who is in that leadership role and that you're delivering for so i think in terms of visibility it really you have to be flexible around that. There will be instances where you are ambassador, you are acting directly on behalf of your leader. And again, you need to be empowered to be able to do that. There are other instances where you will need to be invisible in a situation and just quietly pushing the pieces around to assist with something. Um, and then there's the other part of it where you may well be the gatekeeper, the gatekeeper the first point of contact, the spokesperson. So it really varies by what's required of you. And you have to have the kind of political nuance to be able to adapt to that and and do the right thing in the situation that
0: you're in. And is your role operating only within the university or are you operating externally as well? So again, this really varies by
1: chief of staff. I've had experiences where I have been very internally focused and that's usually because the institution is driving a large-scale change programme and needs the chief of staff to be very in the detail. Um, And I've also had experiences where I am called to be ambassador, to engage with external organisations, to be talking to political groups, to be talking to lobbyists, to be talking to the Office for Students. really depends on where you're... Organisation is at that time, and where the focus is, and also what kind of leader you have. Because sometimes you have vice chancellors who are much more like presidents and are therefore externally focused, and you might have a provost in that role who you're supporting in dealing with some of the, the kind of more internally focused things. Or you may find that your senior leader is less keen on doing some of that external work or fundraising. And then you will step into those positions. So you have to be adaptable to that.
0: So I'm sure no week is going to be the same. I I can't imagine how it could be with what you've described to us so far. But could you walk us through some of the types of activities that you might do, where your focus is, in a particular week who are you working with and how all that works so without
1: betraying any confidences, um just thinking across the broad range of roles that i've had as chief of staff at different institutions I, i think some of the core activity is around policy development taking that through brokering it delivering it implementing it taking it from the idea to the fruition um acting as the confidant, talking things through with your leader, creating a safe space, sometimes managing upwards, sometimes coaching um, to deliver, often being part of a communication strategy, working very closely with the director of marketing or um, internal communications and really thinking about how the messages that your senior leader wants to deliver are then driven forward Um, and being able to refine that for them. So engaging with that can also be around speech writing or preparing briefing notes when they're engaging externally so that they're up to speed on what it is they need to be delivering for the institution. You could be involved with either as coordinator or lead around major programs of change. Um, or projects that need to be delivered in different parts of the organisation. And and then you're often engaged with bringing together people from different um, functions who might otherwise not engage with one another, and your role there is to kind of be the glue to bring it all together. Um, and then I think a really big part of it is the, the kind of political piece, to go back to that, you know, understanding the institution, how things will land, navigating conflict, um and just really being at the heart of that and trying to be as supportive of everyone involved and understanding their positioning.
0: And from what you shared with us in walking us through those activities and, and what you've said so far in this episode, it's really clear that the Chief of Staff is very much focused on serving others, You know, serving, serving the Vice-Chancellor or President, serving the senior team, serving the university. Can you be you in that setting? Can you be your real self? I think you have to be. I think it's really important to
1: be authentic in your leadership, particularly in the HE environment, which really does have, we complain a lot about it as a sector, but actually it's got a very good balance between your work and your real life. Um, And I think people see through if you are trying to be someone you're not. So it's always been something that's really important to me to be authentic in the way that I'm engaging. Um, It's challenging at times. I have had personal experiences. For example, 10 years ago when I was at LSE, I was going through a series of infertility treatments, which obviously had a huge impact on me and my ability to be as present as I needed to be in different moments. But by talking that through with my then director, Craig Calhoun, I was able to be really honest and open about the experience I was having and then be more effective in the way that I was delivering when I was at work because I wasn't trying to hide something. So I think it's really important to work out what is of greatest benefit to you. How can you operate most effectively whilst also understanding that you are there to serve others and that you will need to adapt that to their needs across the organisation. But I think people respect you more when you're able to bring some of those challenges with you because it also shows your empathy your compassion your ability to adapt to different people's circumstances and to understand the challenges they might be facing as they embark on what is a really unsettling and change focused environment at the moment
0: so in many ways it's it's actually about enhancing the relationships that you have with other people by being able to be yourself and enabling them to do likewise absolutely So there's no doubt going to be some aspiring chiefs of staff out there who've either had it on their minds before hearing you talk or that you've inspired today uh, to think about this as a possible career pathway. If someone is interested in taking this further, what sort of skills should they be developing? So what I
1: would say is that my experience of finding these roles is that some of it is serendipity, right place, right time. Um, But I think that you can really give yourself the edge by thinking about how you can put yourself at the forefront and to make yourself stand out. I think conversations that I've had over my 20 year career in HE is that very few people set out at the beginning with a vision of what their ultimate goal is um, or what role they want to move into. So making sure that you are in the best possible position to be noticed and that you are identifying and driving change initiatives in the space that you're in. Even when you're in junior roles, being conscious of continuous improvement and thinking about ways that you can enhance how your team are doing something is a really good way to stand out. I think that spearheading projects, being prepared to put your head above the parapet and say, this isn't working, can I get involved? Um, Engaging with policy development is a really good good way to understand what's happening under the bonnet of the institution. Um, And to see how something that might seem really simple from the outset actually has a lot of complex, ever-evolving issues that are part of that. And and working something through, from developing a policy through to implementing it, is a really nice way of seeing what the culture is in the organisation that you're in. And then just staying really current with the sector, having a strong network that isn't just in your institution, being aware of opportunities that aren't within the organisation you're working in, what's going on elsewhere, Um, and asking questions. I think one of the things that really helped me to get to a position where I had the confidence to take that first step into the head of directorate role was having a conversation with someone who had done a similar role at Southampton, my colleague Andy Wilson, Um, and he was able to kind of break it down so that it seemed accomplishable whereas previously I'd been quite overwhelmed by the idea of that big step up so I think some of the roles that are quite they have synergies to the chief of staff role are in the spaces of policy governance strategy Um, even getting involved in project management across any of the functions really gives you some of that exposure and then also kind of a reflection for me now is developing those coaching skills because you will need to be able to speak to people who are in more senior positions and to help them to continue to develop on their path as well. Um, So those are some of the ways I think that people find in. For me, it was less about the kind of communications or EA type roles, but I know that those also are spaces that people can move up from as well.
0: And closing our conversation, um, where does a chief of staff go after they've been a chief of staff?
1: It's a very good question. (laughs) One that I spend time pondering on. Um, I think there's no obvious pathway. As with most things in HE, this is not a cookie cutter career. Uh, You need to find your own way. Um, You need to do the work to explore the opportunities that are out there. You need to continue to develop skills in your role. And I think you need to be really innovative about thinking about, OK, I'm here. How do I get to the next place? That sometimes means taking a step sideways or a step downwards in order to get exposure to different skill sets. Um, I think you need to seek support from senior leaders. You need to be constantly reflecting on the parts of the role that you really enjoy and thinking about the areas where you might be weaker and you need to develop your skills I think going back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of the kind of personal development qualifications, what can you be doing now to refresh, um, to take that step forward? Should you be going to conferences? Should you be um, looking at different professional qualifications to take that next step forward? Um, I think... HE is a really exciting and ever-evolving sector to be in. It's perhaps not always portrayed that way, but I think it definitely is. Um, And it can appear to be difficult to navigate because there aren't those clarified pathways. But I think when you bring your creativity and your innovation and personal development to the fore, that's where those opportunities tend to arise. Sometimes it's about creating a job for yourself um, for me I think because I have this other life on the side which we haven't really touched on here but that you know I have my own music management company I'm an executive coach as well as being chief of staff here for me it's really about finding that balance of a portfolio career drawing on the things that I'm really passionate about Um I, I want to continue to work with senior leadership to help them to deliver on their vision um, and I think my coaching strand really allows me to kind of partner with individuals at different stages of their career to think about the opportunities that are available to them and to be creative in that space. So that's where I see myself. But I think there's a whole plethora of opportunities that become available depending on where you've specialised as part of the role that you're in.
0: Selina, it's been brilliant talking with you today. Thanks so much for your time in letting me shadow you. Thank you so much for
1: inviting me on.
0: Thank you for listening to Job Shadowing HE. The podcast was written and presented by Susanna Marsden. Audio production and theme music by me, Rodri Marsden. For more information about this podcast, just visit jobshadowinghe.podbean.com.